man approached a little league baseball game one afternoon and he asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. Well, the boy responded, 18 to nothing, we're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I'll bet you're discouraged. The little boy replied, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got to bat yet. Well, life is full of all kinds of circumstances that might bring us discouragement, but we shouldn't be surprised about that. However, when discouragement comes, how do we handle it? How do we deal with discouragement? Well, that's what we're thinking about this morning as we open the Bible. So why don't you stick around and we'll find out what God's Word says in just a moment. Well, good morning and welcome to Yonville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor, and uh, as always, we are so glad that you have set aside these precious minutes uh, to meet with God and to meet with us. We pray that today is a blessing for you. Uh, today marks a milestone for Yonville Community Church. Uh, this is the 73rd Sunday since we last met in person as a church for Sunday services. That's a long time, right? Uh, but that is all set to change next Sunday when we finally get to reopen our historic Yonville Chapel and campus after its reconstruction. Uh, so we would love to invite you to join us in person next Sunday, 22nd of August at 10 a.m. for our homecoming service uh, right here in Yonville in the heart of the Napa Valley. Uh, we'll have church service followed by a catered lunch and uh, the chance to explore our new facility as well as time to catch up with old friends and to meet new friends. Uh, we will have uh, our kids' church program up and running next week uh, and every week uh, for toddlers up to grade five. Uh, we'd love you to register for that on the kids' page of our website before you uh, turn up. So uh, head to yonvillechurch.org slash kids to do that. Uh, for those of you who won't be here in person, uh, the service will be live streamed at 10 a.m. Uh, so you don't have to miss out. Uh, but if possible, we would love to see you in person. Uh, there are socially distanced options. Uh, if you plan to stay for lunch, uh, we, we would love you to RSVP for catering purposes. And you can do that uh, by the Connect card here at yonvillechurch.org uh, or you can uh, give us a call in the church office. And uh, last little bit of news, make sure you're signed up to our weekly email newsletter. Uh, this week I'll be sending you out um, more details about where to park, what to expect, that kind of thing. Uh, so the Connect card is the place to do that, and uh, that will let us know that you want to be on the mailing list. The last thing I want to do is to thank you for your ongoing support of the church. Uh, my family has been producing these videos in our living room now. Uh, this is my living room uh, for almost a year and a half. Uh, and I'm so excited that next week we'll be coming to you live from our beautiful new chapel. Uh, I pray that lots of you are there with us. But the reason that we've done all of this, 73 weeks of church online, four years of historic church reconstruction, this huge landscaping project, it's also that we have the opportunity to introduce our friends and neighbours to Jesus and to the hope that he offers in this lifetime and the next. So this week, please pray for our homecoming Sunday. Please consider inviting those friends and neighbours who don't yet know Jesus. And please let's use this new season to recommit ourselves to being the church uh, to meeting weekly, 
uh, to being involved in whatever capacity you are able so that we can achieve our mission as a church to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. Uh, will you pray for that with me now? Our Heavenly Father, you have blessed us richly with the gospel, uh, with the good news of salvation, uh, with the freedom to meet and a church building to meet in. Uh, please be with us now by your Holy Spirit as we prepare to return, uh, to regather and to rebuild. May we achieve the mission that you set out for us, uh, to make disciples of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Our Father, bless and prosper our church so that Jesus is glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of our little series, which I'm calling Return. It's all about learning lessons from the experience of God's Old Testament people when they returned to the Promised Land after a long period of exile. And this week we return to the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter 4 this week. And we're going to see a real contrast from the story that we read last week in chapters 1 to 3. Another fast recap of what we read so far is this. The year is approximately 500 B.C., and Nehemiah is one of the Jewish exiles. He's been living outside of the promised land because of God's judgment on his disobedient people. But after 70 years of judgment and exile, God has mercy on his people. And he causes the Persian king to allow his people to return to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem has been destroyed. And Nehemiah hears about this back in Persia where he's an official, he's a senior official to the king. And so Nehemiah prays. He goes to the king. He asks if he has, could have permission to go back and rebuild the wall. And the king not only permits Nehemiah to go, he also gives him letters to ensure his safe travel. He gives him wood to rebuild and a company of soldiers to protect him. Nehemiah rallies everyone he can find to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it's this inspiring story of God's provision and what can be achieved when we work together. But that's not the end of the story. Like a lot of things in life, rebuilding wasn't as straightforward as just putting one brick on top of another. And Nehemiah and the people faced a number of challenges along the way that made progress slow and painful and frustrating. They faced serious discouragement. And so as we return to church next week, and as we set about rebuilding the ministry here in Yontville, well, there are lessons for us to learn from their experience. Lessons to help us when we're faced with discouragement. And the first lesson is this. When we are building something for the Lord, we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition. In fact, we should expect opposition. Back in chapter 2, when Nehemiah gave the rousing speech that gathered the wall builders, there were two other characters listening in. Well, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Nehemiah 2.10 Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, the state just to the north of Jerusalem. He was probably an Assyrian by heritage, somebody whose family had settled in Samaria after God's people had been taken into captivity 70 years earlier because that was how empires conquered uh, vast territories 
uh, you take most of the inhabitants away from a land and you resettle other conquered people groups there, uh, along with just enough leadership to keep them subdued. Uh, you uh, disorient them and you take them away from their religion uh, and their identity and their ability to communicate um, and uh, that stops them rising up against you. And that was a common tactic in the ancient Near East. And so Sanballat, he's one of those Assyrians left in charge of this large and politically prominent state. But you see, if the Jews return to Jerusalem, to their own home territory, uh, right next door to the south, if they re-establish the temple and worship, and if they grew in stature, well, Sanballat's power would be threatened. And so he was greatly disturbed. Uh, similarly to by the Ammonite. Uh, he was probably a governor over the Ammonite territories to the east of Jerusalem. Uh, his name suggests a Jewish background, but his anger shows that he has no sympathy for God's people. Listen to how chapter 4 starts. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the, pro uh, in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Well, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they're building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Sanballat and Tobiah made a public show of ridiculing those who were doing the rebuilding. Uh, protected by their army, of course, uh, they mocked and made fun of God's people. First, they belittle the builders. What are those feeble Jews doing? And then they belittle their building skills. Will they restore the wall? Uh, they're, whatever they're building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And then they belittle the Jewish religion. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from a heap of rubble? Samballot and Tobiah have a smug attitude towards the people of God. In fact, towards God himself. A smug superiority that comes out as sarcasm, ridicule and mockery of religion. It actually reminds me of the serpent in the Garden of Eden as, as he questioned God's word. Did God really say, surely you will not die? We often hear those same words today when we choose to speak about the Christian faith or even just when we seek to live according to biblical principles. Did God really say that? Surely there are no eternal consequences. Now, Christians are mocked and belittled and insulted, sometimes in the media and sometimes by those closest to us. And I think that's the hardest. So how do we deal with the discouragement of ridicule and insults? Well, I think it can be very difficult. Some of us naturally have thicker skins, but even then, over time, words can take a toll. Others of us are much more easily wounded, and we take those negative comments to heart. When that happens, it's okay to be honest with God about how you're feeling. When we look to Nehemiah's response to the mockery, he prays this honest and raw prayer. In fact, he calls on God to bring judgment on his tormentors. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. 
Nehemiah 4, verses 4 to 5. Nehemiah is angry, and rightly so. To insult God's people is to insult God himself. And so to follow Nehemiah's lead, perhaps you'll find some comfort in allowing yourself to be completely honest with God about how you're feeling when you're insulted. Commentator Raymond Brown says, When we are aggrieved, it's better to pray honestly and express our pain in the holy place than harbour resentment and disdain prayer. Moreover, if fierce anger needs to be released, it's far better expressed in prayer than in uncontrolled bitterness towards others. So a time of honest prayer might help you to acknowledge the deep hurts you feel. But once you've done that, I think we also need to consider how Jesus reacted when he faced governors and soldiers and the cruelest of mockery. Jesus taught, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5:44, And that's just what he did. He prayed for those who nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And it wasn't just the soldiers that were his enemies. Jesus actually died for us while we were God's enemies, while we were Jesus' enemies, because of God's great love for us. And so even as the world hurls insults at us, we need to remember that they need Jesus just like we needed Jesus. They need to know God's love. And so let's love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Let's share hope with them, not hate. Let's allow good to overcome evil. It'll be good for our own hearts, I can tell you. And I believe it'll make a difference in the hearts of those who would do us harm. So that's the first big idea. Expect opposition and meet hate with love. Well, often where we live, the worst persecution we'll face for our faith is the kind of mockery and ridicule that we saw in the first verses of our chapter. Uh, Ridicule is hard, but praise God if that's all that we face, because opposition to God can be much more intense, which is our second big idea today. Come back to Nehemiah 4 with me. In verse 6, we see that the rebuilding quickly progressed, despite the insults of the local leadership. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart, Nehemiah 4, verse 6. That made Sanballat furious. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Nehemiah 4 verses 6 to 8. The intimidation escalates with enemies on every side plotting war against the people of God as Sanballat and Samaria to the north, the Arabs to the south, Tobiah and the Ammonites to the east and Ashdod to the west. God's people are surrounded by the threat of violence. And this is a reality for Christians in many parts of the world today. Whether it's government-sponsored religious persecution or pressure within a community or a family, especially when somebody converts to Christianity. The threat of violence or disinheritance is part of following Jesus for many believers. Well, in Nehemiah, we see Sanballat try to use legal means to stop the work on the wall. He questions Nehemiah's credentials and his authority to do the work. 
accuses him of rebelling against the king. That's in Nehemiah 2 verse 19 and chapter 6 verse 6. Uh, he sends intimidating letters, 6 verse 19. He attempts to discredit Nehemiah's character, 6 verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be surprised to face even that kind of opposition as we rebuild this church. Well, I love Nehemiah's response in the face of this intensifying opposition. He prays and then he keeps moving ahead with the work. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat, Nehemiah 4 verse 9. One of the great lessons we learn in the book of Nehemiah is the power of prayer. And Nehemiah was a man who prayed frequently, sometimes long prayers, sometimes very short prayers. A lot of them are recorded in the book. And prayer punctuated everything that Nehemiah did. And as we rebuild our church, as we rebuild our ministry, prayer must punctuate everything that we do. Because prayer reminds us that we are not in this alone. A growing a church is something that God does through our efforts. Like the Apostle Paul said, one of us might plant the seed and another might water it, but God makes it grow, to paraphrase 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. So I invite you to pray for our church. Pray short prayers, pray long prayers, pray on your own, make a regular coffee date with somebody to pray for our church. Commit to praying for church in your Bible study group or in your family prayer time. Come to our prayer meetings at church. Uh, if you're watching this on Sunday the 15th, come to church this very afternoon at 2 p.m. and join us uh, as we pray over the campus in preparation for our reopening. Or drop by at another time and stand out the front, uh, lift up the Napa Valley and the great need for people to know Jesus. Pray. Uh, well, when I read that Nehemiah posted a guard day and night to meet the threat, it actually just made me think of prayer. A number of churches have 24-hour prayer rooms where there's always somebody in prayer for the church. They're like spiritual guards posted on the church campus, interceding on behalf of the pastor, on behalf of the community, the nation. Maybe we should aspire to something similar. Because every church is engaged in a spiritual battle. Satan would love nothing more than to undermine the church, to discredit us, to mock us and deride us. And he gathers his forces against the church, often in more subtle ways than an army gathered outside the gates. But that doesn't mean our opponents are any less dangerous. And so that's our second big lesson. Let's be a praying church as we face spiritual opposition. The final lesson that we learn comes from the most intense period of discouragement for the wall builders. After all the taunts, after all the physical intimidation, the cracks started to show in those building the wall. First, they became overcome by fatigue. A building a wall is hard enough, but to do it day after day under the threat of violence, well, that'll wear anybody out. Now, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Nehemiah 4 verse 10. We've been getting the final landscaping done here at church this week. And so I appreciate that sentence, there is so much rubble that we cannot. Well, in every building project, we have to deal with rubble. 
Uh, for the last two years, we've had a massive dumpster on site for all the construction rubble. Uh, it was filled and emptied, filled and emptied dozens of times. At least with physical rubble, you can get it cleaned up and put away. But we all have other rubble in our lives, rubble that can block our pathways, rubble that piles up when we're not looking, issues that we constantly deal with that never seem to be resolved. The rubble can wear us down and it can leave us saying, I can't, I don't have space for that in my life right now. I don't even know where to start. You ever have that feeling? I have, it's discouragement. And discouragement can get us so wrapped up inside our own heads that we actually stop being able to function. Discouragement paralyzes us. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. There's a story that one day the devil put out a closing down sign. Strange, huh? He placed all of his tools out for sale. Each had a price on it. Um, pride, laziness, arrogance, hate, envy, jealousy. But there was one tool, the most worn out tool of them all, with a sign under it that said, not for sale. It was a strange looking tool. And so somebody asked the devil, what is that tool? And why isn't it for sale? Well, Satan whispered, I can't afford to get rid of that one. That is my chief tool, discouragement. With this tool, I can pry open a heart. And once I'm there, I can do almost anything I want. It is badly worn because I use it on almost everyone, since few people know that it belongs to me. Discouragement is one of the deadliest weapons of the enemy. A discouragement leads us to say, I cannot. Well, Nehemiah says, perhaps on your own you cannot, but together we can. So I love how this section ends. Nehemiah doesn't let their fear or their fatigue lead to failure. Instead, he gathers people into their family groups and he posts them on the wall together. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. Nehemiah 4 verse 13. There is something about having someone to stand beside you when things are going badly. Even better when it's someone you trust. Better still a group of people who can support you. And Nehemiah was clever to arrange the people into groups like that. That's one of the reasons why we encourage everyone at church to join a small group. And we're not meant to live out our faith alone. And we need others to guide and support and encourage us to pray for us. The best groups become like a new family as we stand shoulder to shoulder in the work of the gospel and as we hold one another firm through the fiercest storm. But you know, none of that is enough without God. And so Nehemiah takes the focus off their discouragement and he refocuses their attention on God. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight your fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Our enemies might be lined up outside the gates, but God is so much higher and so much stronger and so much more in control than any earthly opposition. He is even sovereignly over and above spiritual opposition. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. 
Matthew 16, verse 18. Nothing can get in the way of God achieving his ultimate plan to bring everything in heaven and on earth under the lordship of Jesus. That's Ephesians 1.10. And Romans 8 tells us, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nehemiah reminds us to take our focus off our discouragement and to refocus our attention on God. Because when we do that, we know that we can't lose. Like the little league kid in my opening illustration, we, we might look like we're behind on the scoreboard, but we haven't even gone into bat yet. God is out on our side, and God's team will always win. Why don't we thank him for that now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great reminder of your strength, your power, your plans, your sovereignty over all opposition. Father, when we face discouragement, will you strengthen us to lift our eyes up to you and remember the bigger picture? Father, help us to be godly, to be like Christ. As we face opposition, help us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Father, for those of us who are dealing with rubble in our lives, we pray now that you would send the spiritual broom through, clear that away, and make the path straight so that we can come back to you to worship you in spirit and truth with nothing to hinder us. And Father, we pray that this message of hope in Jesus Christ will ring out through the Napa Valley and beyond to the glory of the one who died for us. Amen.